So we're going to be looking at Colossians um, 3, 1 to 17, and this week what we're looking at is what it means to kind of be raised to life in Jesus. And as I've been preparing this talk, there's a verse that's been rumbling round and round my head, and it's from John 10, 10, and it says there, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I just think that this passage kind of offers us something about that life to the full that we have in Jesus, um, that we're freed from sin and death and that we're raised to life in him and that we have the hope of life eternal with him um, and through him. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at today. It's just like the abundant life that we have in Jesus and what that means for us. So abundant life, that sounds pretty good, eh? No? Just me? (laughs) So we've got three things that we're going to look at this morning. um, And we're going to look at our new lives in Jesus, our new selves in Jesus, and our new wardrobes in Jesus. And we have some Bibles around. I was going to say kicking about the place, but it's a wee bit more structured than that. Just a wee bit, mind. Not that much more. Um, if you need a Bible, we would love it if you would take a Bible away with you. It's just our gift to you. Um, we'd love it if, if you don't have one. You don't have to worry about having to buy one. You can just take this from us. Um, does anyone need a Bible? And pass them along the aisles? No. I would like it noted that I have my Bible with me today. That doesn't often happen. Should I say that? Is this being recorded? (laughs) Cut, cut. Right, okay. Um, So we're at Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Living as those made alive in Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, sorry, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen holy people, sorry, chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. I'm going to put my Bible down. It's too heavy to hold on to. I don't know why I need to tell you that. (laughs) 
Right, so let's just have a wee look at what this passage says just at the beginning and about our new lives and Jesus. And this is like the opener for this section. And he says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And there's just simple truth in these verses. You know, we've been brought to life by Jesus. We live our lives in Jesus and we have the hope of eternal life through Jesus. Jesus and only Jesus. That's how we have new life. New life is a gift and it's given by God himself. And last week Scott was talking about um, in Colossians 2, the young church in uh, Colossae had been having visiting speakers and what they were doing was they were coming in and they were preaching and they were focusing um, on the external behavior that people had to change their external behavior in order to be made alive with Christ and actually what Paul is bringing them back to is your new life begins with Jesus your new life begins not with what is visible with what everybody else can see but with what is invisible with a meeting of your heart and your mind with Jesus Set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above. We've been raised to life in Christ. We live in him. And through him, we have the hope of eternal life. It's the internal and not the external. And although this passage does go on to talk about that kind of outside behavior, the things that people can see, the first part of this passage is focusing on the internal, our hearts and our minds. I wonder how many of us, um, is there any other Les Miserables fans here? Okay, there's some of us. I tried to convert Scott to Les Miserables, and I personally think he's a little bit heartless, because he didn't even cry at all when we watched it. Um, But it's possibly one of my most favourite stories in all of literature, although I say that, I haven't actually read the book. I have watched the film several times. Um, But I just love this story. I saw it for the first time when I was 15, and just this this story of um, restoration just really spoke to me. And kind of what you have is this character called Jean Valjean, who for 19 years has been imprisoned um, because he stole a loaf of bread to feed his sister's family. So for 19 years, he's lived in this, like, torturous um, way where he's basically been punished physically for the the things that he'd done wrong and he's set free from prison after these 19 years and he kind of goes off on his way but actually what his experience those 19 years that were correcting his behavior what it left him with was just bitterness in his heart and he kind of he doesn't it's not very long before he ends up making another mistake and what he does is he finds shelter in the the house of a bishop and one night when everyone is sleeping in the i guess it's a chapel chapel let's go with chapel if i'm wrong someone can correct me later but he he then takes the silver from that place and he escapes and while he's escaping he's found by um, these policemen who drag him back to the church with the aim that they will incarcerate him again that they'll put him back in prison for the theft that he's committed and actually when they get there the policemen say can you confirm this is your silver this man has taken it and the bishop he says yep i can confirm this is my silver but actually this is a gift to him And he goes and gets two other candlesticks that Jean Valjean didn't actually take, two silver candlesticks. And he takes them and he gives them to Jean Valjean and he says, and you forgot these two. And so in that moment, he escapes the punishment that he would have had. And actually what happens in that moment is that through that bishop, Jean Valjean encounters the grace and the mercy and the love of God 
something that he totally didn't deserve, but he encounters it, and it impacts him powerfully. And from that point onwards, he stops being what he was known, which was prisoner 24601. That was how he saw himself. That was how other people saw him. And he begins this whole new life, which is a life that he lives to, to bless other people. Why am I saying that? You know, it's an encounter with the, our hearts and our minds with Jesus that stops us being that prisoner. It says in Galatians 5 verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In Jesus, we have new life in him, through him, by him. It's an encounter with our hearts. It's an encounter with our hearts and it's a journey that we go on. You know, through Jesus, each and every one of us can receive forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus, each and every one of us can know what it is to be set free from sin. It tells us that in Ephesians 2. So where before we felt like we were chained to it, like a ball in a chain, and we were dragging it around with us, we're actually free from it. And in Jesus, each and every one of us gets to be a child of God. And with Jesus, each and every one of us gets to be transformed, to be more and more like him. And it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. This doesn't happen because we do lots and lots of great, lovely things. It happens because we contemplate Jesus. It happens because we bring our hearts and our minds to him. We meet with him. It's about the invisible, the things that people can't see. We turn our hearts and our minds to Jesus. And I think for some of us this morning, we have to grab hold of the fact that right now, in this moment, our starting point is that we are alive in Jesus we have that new life already. You're not working for it. Jesus has already done it. Our new life begins in Jesus and each and every one of us is brand new in him. And that's his gift to us. That's his gift to us. So our new lives come from, um, sorry, our new selves that we're going to look at in a minute come from that place of new life with Jesus where our hearts and our minds are meeting with him. God doesn't want just the external to look brilliant. He wants to meet with you right where you are right now. You don't have to be perfect for that. Jesus is our perfection. So our new life begins in Jesus. Our hearts and our minds meeting with him. So that involves our new selves. Do you like my fancy slides? I worked real hard on them. No, I didn't. Sorry, I need to stop. Right, okay, so our new selves is about removal and reflection. Um, and in this passage, the Colossians are calling, Paul's calling the Colossians to get rid of all that old stuff that they had in their lives before Jesus. So he says, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And it's following on from that first section, you know, he's talking about your hearts and your minds meeting with Jesus is bringing about a change with all this other stuff. This is the outside behavior, the things that they had, um, that they were living in before. Last year, um, Scott and I had the blessing of getting our new house, um, which was 
um, in Tilly Drone. So that was like a huge answer to prayer for us. Um, and although our house was a wonderful, wonderful gift, it needed a lot of work. Um, so it needed a new boiler system, a new heating system. It needed rewiring. It needed new carpets. It needed new doors. It needed all the wallpaper stripped of it. It needed a massive deep steam clean of the kitchen. Um, and it was just kind of what had to happen when we moved in was a removal of epic proportions. If you would like to know anything about how to get a steel bath down the stairs, was it steel or cast iron? Cast iron bath, okay. So a cast iron bath down a flight of stairs, you can um, not speak to me because I wasn't involved in that, but other people were, it's hard work. But basically what happened in our house was a, a removal of epic proportions. And there were some rooms where when we were started to peel the carpet up, like it was actually disintegrating in your hands. Like that's how old it was. It was so decayed, like it was just falling apart and it was just like dust. You can imagine that if we had not replaced that carpet... And we changed other bits of the house. I mean, people came in and painted our house and made it beautiful white and, and helped us. Joel, our friend Joel put in an amazing bathroom for us. You know, if we'd changed stuff and then left all the old stuff, you can just imagine you start traipsing through the house. This is me traipsing. And you start dragging all that dust through the rest of the house, the house that's been made new. We couldn't do that. We need to get rid of it. And so the same is true for us in our new lives with Jesus. We can't keep that old stuff with us. And it can be easy to kind of be a bit nostalgic about some of the old stuff that we have. Or, you know, but I've got a right to hold on to that anger. or But I've got a right to, to feel um, disgruntled about that. And I myself know that I can be quite nostalgic about things that are um, that I like to carry around with me. Scott, I drive them demented. Because every single house move that we do, I take about 40 million books from university. I studied English. And he's like, but you're never going to read these again. And I'm like, but I might want to, and I did read them before. But we can't be nostalgic about the things of our past. We need to get rid of them because ultimately those things from our past, those things that are listed in that passage, those things in our lives that we know God has marked with a removal sticker, ultimately they destroy us. You know, I read it at the start. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus gives us life in abundance, and so the old has got to go, all of it. And so there is that question for us there this morning, you know, is there something in our lives that we know God's just got that little removal sticker on? And we're maybe trying to ignore it, like, oh no. But actually, it's something that has to go. And in verse 9 and 10, he says, Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator... And in that verse, he's painting this picture. What they used to do um, in the early church for baptism was that people would be would arrive at baptism and they'd be dressed in their old clothes. Um, and what they would do is they would take off all their old clothes and they would get into the water and they'd go down into the water and they'd come back out. And then once they were out of the water, they'd put on this um, brand new kind of fresh white um, clothing. And that was to like signify their new life, their purity in Jesus. And so that's kind of what he's talking to them about here. Put off your old self, take off those old clothes and put on um, your new self. And it's that symbol of them coming out of that place into new life with him. I said already that we moved. Um, It will be of no surprise to any of you who have been to our house recently that we are still in the process of unpacking. Um, And just the other day, I found this big mirror. It was a mirror that we were given um, at our wedding, and I found it was like all wrapped up in bubble bubble tape, bubble wrap with fragile tape all over it. 
Um, and I thought, oh no, this thing is not going to have survived like three house moves. But miraculously, it had it had survived three house moves. Um, and the only thing with the mirror, it was it had some of the fragile tape kind of still stuck to the frame. But it was a wee bit dirty. It was a wee bit manky. Um, but really, it just needed a good cleaning. It's a good West Coast word for you there, manky. What's the point of that? Removals and reflections. So as we are growing with Jesus and as we are allowing him to mark those things that need to go, the things that we need to put off, the things that we need to put to death in our life, the more that we bring our hearts and our minds to him, meeting with him, receiving from him, we're transformed and we reflect him. It says being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. And so we become um, someone who can reflect him to the people around us. But that grime on that mirror needs to come off. And just with every wipe, it gets brighter and brighter and the reflection gets clearer and clearer. So our new cells go through that process of removal, but we're also called to that reflection. And that means that we live lives that are beyond our own selfish focus. We live lives beyond the love of sex, where we just use one another without any commitment or value. We live lives beyond um, anger and rage that's looking to hold on to grudges and stir up division and bickering. So this morning we can get rid of those old carpets. We can hang that new mirror And I think just for some of us, I guess for all of us, there's that invitation again to just go into that process of removal and reflection with Jesus, bringing our hearts and minds to him. And so that brings us to our final point. So we've got our new lives. It begins with Jesus. It's always with the internal. That brings about our new selves, that transformation and where we reflect and we remove. And then finally, our new wardrobe. Something that I really loved about this passage, and for those of you who are like words as well, you might enjoy this. Um, but actually, this passage can be divided into two parts. So verse 1 to 8 is all about um, our personal lives with Jesus. So it's about us meeting with God. And then verse 9 to 17 is all about how we interact with one another. And it's actually only in verse 9 when those words, um, each other, start to come into play. So in our new life, our new selves brings about a change in the way, in the way that we are with each other. And that's our new wardrobe in Jesus. Um, and all designers have their kind of signature style, don't they? You're all going to laugh at me when I start saying this. But all designers have their signature style. I'm told that Dior, you can tell it's Dior um, because it's cutting edge and classy. Valentino's, you can tell that it's Valentino because it's got it's marked with kind of elegance and beauty. And then Lacoste, I don't know if they're a designer, but there you go, um, is athletic, but it's casual, and it also has like significant attention to detail. Um, now, some of you might not share, or might not share, probably are similar to me, and you might not share the fashion knowledge and passion, or fashion passion, and you might not pay very much attention to fashion designers or anything like that, but our new wardrobe in Jesus is something that we, all of us, absolutely have to pay attention to. So, kind of, what is the signature style, you know, of an authentic Jesus outfit? I think you could spend your whole, or we can spend the rest of our lives looking at that in scripture, about what God wants, how God wants us to be with one another. But I just think that there's maybe three truths for us this morning um, that God's got. And so we'll just look at those um, before we finish. So firstly, an authentic Jesus outfit pursues unity. It's throughout the whole of the second part of this chapter. 
Um, in verse 11, there's a call for all previous decision, divisions, all things where people would have thought it made them better than someone else or less than someone else, gone. He says in verse 11, there's no Gentile, no Jew, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, no Scythian, no barbie. All, Christ is all and Christ is in all, is gone. In verse 12, we're called to be dressed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Things that we show to one another. In verse 13, a reminder that we are to forgive each other as we have been forgiven. Jesus forgives us all sins when we come to him and we confess and we have to give that to one another. In verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because we are members of one body. And Paul makes it clear, 1 Corinthians 12, possibly one of my favourite passages, it talks about the body of Christ and it talks about how no, not one part of the body of Christ is more important than the other. Every single member is valuable and important. And at no point can we ever look at one another and think, I am more significant than you. I am more valuable than you because we are one body and we need one another. What we see when we look at the, the whole world right now is an attempt um, by some people to kind of find campaign for people to find acceptance in home um, in places that, that are not their home, that are not their place that they, they would have originated. And yet, on the other hand, we see people campaigning against that. I'm not bringing that up to talk about any of that, but I'm bringing it up for this reason, that how we are with one another as the family of God really matters. It really matters because the world is looking for a place of community and belonging and acceptance. And you know, I'm just so struck. Never in my whole life have I ever witnessed anything like the church. Ever. We are here right now on this Sunday morning. If you look around, we are all from different places, different walks of life, different experiences, different parts of the world, and yet we come together joyfully, willingly, to meet together to worship Jesus. It's absolutely extraordinary. And if you were to gather all 1,000 people of our whole church in one place, and actually you get the chance to do that in a few weeks' time at the big gathering, if you've not been, you absolutely have to go. It's extraordinary. It's amazing to see so many people from all walks of life, and they come together, and they have family, and to see people who never had a home before find a home, find belonging, find acceptance in the church of God. That is, that's what we're designed to be. This family for people. And that happens because we love one another well and that we make a choice to pursue unity. And every single one of us has got a part to play in that. It means that we choose forgiveness instead of grudges. It means that we choose peace instead of war. Kindness, gentleness, patience instead of hatred. Humility instead of our own pride. And ultimately, we recognize that Jesus is in all of us. And that he's over all of us, that he's our Lord. And so how we treat one another really matters. It really matters. Not just for us and how we relate to one another, but for the world out there that's looking in. They need to see the family of God. Secondly, it prioritizes love. Um, In verse 14, it says, And over all these virtues, put on love. Um, I quite like the way the message puts it. It says, And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. 
So never be without it. And that's a reminder that we get throughout the whole of Scripture, isn't it? Jesus said that there was no greater commandments than these. He says um, in Mark, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, he says, you can be the kindest, most generous, wonderful person. You can speak in the tongues of angels. You can um, understand all the mysteries of the world. But if you don't have love, it means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. We have to never be without it. Um, our, daughter, daughter, our daughter, Evelyn, is 10 months old. Um, and when she was five weeks old, we embarked on the journey to the church leadership conference. Um, and so nobody can have really prepared you for how much... Well, I think we went a little bit over the top because basically we filled our whole car with stuff for Evelyn, mainly Evelyn, but we also filled our friend's car with stuff for Evelyn. And still, we managed to forget things. And so on the way down to the leadership conference, we had to stop um, and buy nappies. I will tell you, if you've never experienced this, but I, you never want to be without a nappy with a small child. Um, I have been without a nappy with Evelyn once, and it was just a thin muslin between Evelyn's car seat and absolute oblivion. So, do you know, like, that you definitely have something that you never, ever want to be without. And nappies on the whole, they're durable, they're absorbent, and they catch the stuff that, let's be honest, very few of us would want to really have to deal with. Um, and I can safely say that we would never want to be without them. I am not for one moment going to suggest that love can be compared to an nappy, but <laughs> it's the one thing that can really deal with all the mess, that everything that we can throw at it. I've been, I was reading 1 John 4 last week, and it was actually just a passage that was read in, at our wedding. I love it so much. And, and in verse 10 and 11, 1 John 4, it says this, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, it's Christ's it's Christ self-sacrifice and love that deals with the mess of our sin. And it's by learning that love from him that we can then extend it out to other people. It says later on in that chapter that we can rely on his love and that we can share his love. And so it's something that we must absolutely never be without. As I was just praying again over this talk this morning, I just felt like maybe some of us felt a wee bit low on love. Um, and I just think that God's got something for you this morning just to top you up, top up your tank. And maybe for some of us, we just need to hear again that God loves you. God absolutely loves you. Every every single person in this room, God loves you. And We love because he first loved us. And so I just think for some of us this morning, there's just a reminder of that. God loves you. Not the perfect you that you think you have to be, but God loves you right where you are right now. So an authentic Jesus outfit pursues unity, prioritizes love, and then finally it proclaims his name. It says in verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Everything that you do, um, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so kind of what that means is that before we do something or before we say something, we think, can I really do that? Is that what Jesus would want me to do? Can I put his name to that, almost? Um, I'll finish just with this final idea. Some of us might be familiar with that advert that Wix used to have. You might not know it until I say the tagline, but it was like Wix that's got our name on it. 
some people, some people are looking at me like, what? Um, and basically the principle was, it was like, that's kind of like, I guess, what, it, what would you call B&Q? It's like B&Q, isn't it? Yeah, hardware place? Um, but essentially what they were saying was that it was like, they, they were so confident in the quality of their materials that they would put their name on it, you know? Um, so it's got our name on it, and that's the idea. And so ultimately for us, it's an, an authentic Jesus outfit proclaims the king. You know, it's got his name written all over it. People can see that. Our actions and our words proclaim him, helping other people to see his beauty, his gentleness, his grace, his unconditional love, his mercy, lordship, and his abundant life. Right, let's stand, shall we?